that we'll publish too. Old Boys Club, we're coming for you. In the field, in the lab next door. Yeah, the plots you've been waiting for. Hello, Professor, here's the rub. It's misbehavior, cha-cha-cha-cha. General Club. Hello, world, I'm your lockout girl. It's misbehavior, cha-cha-cha-cha. General Club. Sorry, you won't be able to record episode 39, but I think I've got us covered. Um, the flower shop gig is going really well. When I start getting stressed out when I'm making a bouquet design, I just remember it's flowers, so everything will be just fine. And I ask one of my very nice coworkers for some help. Other news, I went to the dentist and I had a really great dental hygienist and she likes comedy and science. So I told her about the show. So shout out to Pam and her son, Mushroom. I hope you're enjoying stuff. Apparently, uh, after just one month of not flossing regularly, my mouth has descended into a 1970s version of New York City with roving gangs of gingivitis punks and whores and just its hellscape, I think is what Pam said. I, can't, I just stopped for like a month. It wasn't even that long and already gingivitis. I didn't make this joke with Pam, but I always thought it was funny, the idea that gingivitis might be just all made up. You know, like dentists have this class in school where it's revealed <laughs> that it's just a way to sell more toothpaste. And then, <laughs> you know, like four out of five dentists agree. It's that fifth one that's having his mouth muffled as he's being dragged out of the secret dental meeting. Trying to expose the truth. Okay, so um, we talked about gum disease several episodes ago. And I think with Rachel, I bragged way too much about my flossing abilities. And I am now suffering the consequences of that with my gingivitis. But I had to look up some of the articles that were associating gum disease, and mental health. And apparently there was a new one just last year out of BMJ Journal. And I have no idea what BMJ stands for. I scoured their website trying to find it. I think it's Biomedical Journal. So it would be Biomedical Journal Journal. Anyways, the title of the paper was Burden of Chronic Disease Associated with Periodontal Diseases a retrospective cohort study using UK primary care data. It's out of University of Birmingham. That's not University of Birmingham, because it's the UK. And it's ironic that they're doing studies on dental health. And the first author is Zemedikun, and the last author was Narathana Kumar. And it came out just last year. The main finding was 
people with periodontal disease, so that's the next stage after you've had gingivitis, it can develop into periodontal disease. They have a 37% increased risk of developing anxiety, serious mental illness, and depression. And there were a bunch of other risks too, like an 18% increased risk of developing cardiovascular disease or a 30% chance of something else I don't remember. And while there's a lot of different ways that this could be a false correlation, you know, like if you're eating poorly, then you're going to have a bad mouth flora and fauna, and you're going to be more likely to develop cardiovascular disease. There's such a high correlation when it comes to autoimmune disorders that it suggests that it might really be the activation of the immune system. Unlike the idea that this would be giving the immune system something to do to distract it from lesser threats, for example, overreacting to pollen or other allergies. It's keeping it in like a higher state of arousal and leading to problems in um, your nervous system and autoimmune disorders. People with rheumatoid arthritis were four times more likely to have gum disease than their counterparts that did not. Uh, So Pam, I know it's important. I'll be back for those x-rays in six months with the best kept mouth in Seattle. If you are satisfied with your message, press 1 to listen to your message. Press 2 to erase and re-record. Press 3 to continue recording where you left off. Press 4. At the tone, please continue recording. At the end of your message, press 1. I don't think I'm going to be pressing 1. I think it's going to just cut me off again. So some shared announcements. I'm going to be using some of the research that I do for these episodes and writing. You have the maximum time permitted for recording. Oh, motherfucker. If you are satisfied with your message, press 1. To listen to your message, press 2. To send your message with normal delivery, press 1. Thank you. Your message has been sent. Goodbye. So I'm going to be writing up some of the episodes that we do, like taking some of the research and putting it into a blog post so that I have more writing samples. And if anyone listens to the show and has talked to friends and tried to tell them, hey, you should check out this show. And the friend says, I hate podcasts and and will never find myself doing that. Then you can tell them that you have a 33% increased risk of autoimmune disease if you have periodontal disease. No, you can tell them that they can find some content on my website, maybe at speakthescience.com. You'll be posting some stuff this week. If you are satisfied with no, your message, no, I'm not. To listen to your message, press two to erase and no, re-record. Give me the four. Press three to continue recording where you left off. Press four. Okay. At the tone, please continue recording. At the end of your message, press one. I feel- I feel like it cut me off early. Okay, so I'm going to go to the recording of our super cool coverage of BDSM in a paper from the journal Pain. 
and I'm gonna plug that in right here. All right, um, I have a not so news, but notable paper that was shared with me recently. Hit me. All right, so I was sent this paper by fan of the show, Nathan, and it's not new, but I did find it noteworthy. So we're we're putting it in that segment. I New and or noteworthy. I loosely defined things enough so that the news in, in noteworthy, maybe I should have said or noteworthy, whatever I'm going for it. Excellent. This paper is from 2016. Oh, ancient. Okay. <laughs> Who cares? It's done. We've settled that field now. So uh, pain research is challenging ethically and emotionally for the people who are actually doing the research. It's also an area of research that has some of the greatest potential to actually benefit the human condition. Yeah, it's, it's one of the major things to be attended to. We kind of don't enjoy pain unless... So this article I'm going to share comes out of the journal Pain. The article is titled Contextual Modulation of Pain in Masochists, Involvement of Parietal Operculum and Insula. This is out of Heidelberg University in Germany. The first author is Kampin, and the last author is Flor. That's uh, F-L-O-R. And Camping is spelled with a K. So in our big, fat human cortexes, there's plenty of room to take an unpleasant stimuli and process it in a more palatable way. While all these stimuli are coming into our sensory system from the bottom of the spinal cord to progressively upper regions in our central nervous system, areas of the brain that are responsible for taking those different types of information and integrating them have the power to also kind of mold the incoming stimuli. This one time I was, I was at this very, very small production of No Exit. They mm -hmm. made a really weird, they made it an opera and the score was like a viola and marimba and just some weird, weird choices. It was good. It worked. Um, but the guy sitting next to me, it was, a, it was a pretty small theater and the guy sitting next to me kept jiggling his leg. Yes. Just fucking constantly. Uh -huh. And it was extremely irritating and, you know, took me out of it. Um, what was the type of the stimuli that was annoying? It was making a vibration that you could feel or a peripheral thing that you kept on seeing happen? Yeah, uh, both. It, it was, you could feel it and you could see it. And I think Ugh. you could hear it a little bit, which like, that has a frequency. Sure. Music... A lot of frequencies <laughs> were okay. meant to be experienced in a, uh, yeah, so it was, it was throwing me off and I was getting real annoyed until I realized like, oh, right, what is this show about? How hell is other people? <laughs> oh my gosh. He did so much for me. Oh my gosh. I would be surprised if he wasn't like a plant by the director. <laughs> Just... Perfect. Mm -hmm. Thanks, wow, dude. how meta would that have been if it was? We know it's not, but <laughs> if it was. I think the director was like, I am going to... You know what it is? A while ago, I saw Nathan For You, yes. the show. And it's it's amazing how many of his business ideas and show ideas involve like 
they always happen to involve messing with the lines between theater and reality and what is a performance mm. and who's performing for whom and blah. Mm. Like, oh, what a crazy coincidence for a... Oh, I haven't noticed that particular theme. Okay. But In yeah, that seems like the kind of thing that he would do. <laughs> like, really target <laughs> the theater-going experience of one people. I mean, two people, you know, one on each side of the leg. Um... And depending on how much leg room there is, he could have nudged the people in front of them, in front of him with his legs. So you can, you can irritate a good four, maybe five people. Wouldn't it be funny if the mark in front of them had a tall person sitting in front of them? They like planned it. Mm. And not only that, at first, sitting behind the tall person didn't completely obstruct the view. But over the course of the play, the seat... Was set to raise. Or just their posture. Just, oh, I, I feel like I, I feel like we need to quantify the percentage of raise. I love this. The- <laughs> <laughs> I am in heaven right now. <laughs> We're just talking about torturing people. We are talking about. Yeah. We are talking about <laughs> top-down processing. All right. So that thing I described of like. Your stimuli is coming in. Then there are areas of your brain that are dedicated to taking multimodal information and making sense of it. And that that can be modified. That activity in that area can be modified by other higher areas so that the stimuli you think you're perceiving has actually been influenced by other areas of the brain. That is called top-down processing. And one type of top-down processing is emotional modulation. If you have like some sort of emotional state, that can alter how you're perceiving the world around you. And it can make for some very amusing evenings. At, at, at the theater or are you well in a wide variety of settings? One of the greatest parlor tricks the human brain is capable of is coupling and close associating sexual arousal with pain. Huh, I've never heard that before. Camping et al. set out to determine how it is that people who enjoy the pairing of pain with sexual pleasure, masochists, how do masochists process pain? Is this processing universal to all pain stimuli, or is it only for masochistic contexts? How are areas responsible for pain and those multi-sensory processing areas I described, as well as pleasure areas of your brain, how are they responding? This idea of recruiting people who enjoy pain um, mm-hmm. in order to study pain in a way that's not terrible. <laughs> oh, uh, yes. That's a really potential, potentially fruitful area of research. Um, I've been thinking about this going back to our Halloween episode in 2020 with the, the use of screams as an alternative to shocks hmm. um, as, as a way to study aversive stimuli in humans. But this and other research suggests that uh, masochists... So I'll get to it and then we can right. reassess... You know, how useful could that potentially be as a solution to your, we got to cause pain to someone. How about we just find people who like it? I I mean, if you're going to do it anyway. I mean, okay, so how, what methods do they use here? Uh, Lasers and magnets. That's how they did everything. Uh, Lasers were giving uh, the painful stimulus on the back of the subject's hands. Okay. Yep. 
and there, what there there was this okay no that's great for what it is uh in the middle of the 20th century i want to say the 40s but maybe it was later uh there was a study on labor pain and uh they were trying to get a grip on different ways to model and estimate the kind of pain that someone might go through while giving birth. Mm -hmm. And so they tried to use heat on the back of the hand as a proxy. So at different stages of labor, they would, uh, they had the the recruited participants, you know, they were like, how much would you say it hurts? You know, your, your insides right now, would you say it hurts as much as this level of heat on the back of your hand, this level of heat, this level of heat and uh, kind of worked a little bit, except it didn't at all. Um, yeah, it really, really didn't translate. Yeah. Um, there's there... different pains are accessing different types of pains apparently have different results in this type of research. In fact, they cited a study in their discussion that found that they're nearly opposite results, not quite, but just different results, I guess would be a better way of putting it. Yeah. Um, because I didn't actually look at that other study, but the type of pain used was a pressure pain instead of this laser pain. And they explained it accordingly as like, that is the potential, potentially why our, our findings are different. Yeah. And that's why doctors will place so much emphasis on the kind of pain, like the description of pain. Like when they ask you, you know, is it stabbing, shooting, pressure? Like they're not just writing a novel. They, you know, like it matters. <laughs> Another thing that they did was magnets. So they put people in fMRIs while showing them different types of pictures. And of course, for their controls, they used a set. Like there's a catalog of pictures that are commonly used in this type of research that have been quantified and grouped in normal pictures, emotional pictures, you know, that are then happy emotion or unpleasant emotion associated. So they mixed all these pictures up. But what they also had in there were masochistic photos of people receiving pain in that context. And they were showing it to these subjects, sometimes well, and sometimes not well applying the painful laser to their hand. Okay, sorry, just to clarify, the people who were pictured uh, received painful stimuli that was akin to the laser on the hand? Or was it like nope, people No, not who... necessarily. In uh, fact, uh, it wasn't stipulated. Oh, you best know that I tried to find the actual pictures used in this oh, study. Man, of course. And that is not available as far as I can tell, short of contacting the actual researchers. That shit is going to be the death of us all. You want to talk a reproducibility crisis? They had anyway. judged... Uh, yeah, that's... I, that's a direction I don't want to go because it's we're just trying to Too keep painful. this short. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Great. Now I'm going to have to include it just for that amazing joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, they had these pictures judged by masochists as um, being of interest to them. So then they, you know, what the fuck did they find? Well, uh, pain <laughs> is often measured in sensory dimensions. Like, how intense is this pain? And affective dimension, unpleasantness or pleasantness of the stimuli. And this is how subjects were to judge the the laser stimulus while they were viewing whatever they had in front of them on the the screen. So people who were the masochists, they rated 
the masochistic pictures as more pleasant than the control subjects rated them. And there was no difference in the ratings of the other neutral or the positive pictures. Okay. So masochists and controls didn't differ on their pain threshold or their tolerance of the pain or their rating or the brain response in areas that process pain when the pain was applied and the pictures that they were seeing were just neutral or positive or no picture at all control. The ability of masochists to rate pain or identify how painful it was is exactly the same as the controls. Okay. Interestingly, though, there was no difference in the ventral striatum, an area associated with processing reward. They thought, oh, well, maybe even in the masochistic pain pairing. Yeah, like we're giving you something you like. Yeah, you're supposed yeah. to enjoy this. You'll see something in the reward center. And they didn't. What's wrong with you? I, it was pretty interesting. But they did find some interesting effects. When the pain was presented in the context of a masochistic image, the masochist rated lower pain intensity and lower pain unpleasantness. Sorry, did they... That change in their report, was that relative to their non-masochistic counterparts, or was that relative to their responses? The baseline. I think they corrected yeah. to the baseline of the individual and then okay. compared the control group to the masochistic group. I'm not sure. The effect size of this modulation of pain perception was, quote, comparable to the effect size of opioids. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can see that difference being vast. <laughs> I, I guess my question is, how is the response to masochism-related imagery different even in the absence of painful stimuli? Because I would bet that would be... Yeah, like, would you be more annoyed with a with a weird tickle on your foot if you're viewing something that to you is shocking or unpleasant versus if you're viewing something that to you is like, oh, yeah, that's another Saturday night at the dungeon. No big deal. Um, now I am super interested in the suite of responses that people might have to masochism-related imagery. Um, in what way? Uh, what response? Uh, you mean their ability to tolerate painful stimuli? Yeah, or like repeating that, except instead of a laser, it's a an annoying sound nearby, or a dude jiggling his leg next to you, or a questionnaire about your political... I don't think that that would have anything to do with the masochism group. I don't think that that's something that they've ever had to modulate in, in terms of their sexuality. Expand on that. It, it's a very unrelated experiment that you're suggesting. The reason that they're using masochists as their subjects here is because they're interested in seeing where in the brain differences in pain processing could occur. And they're using a context that is directly related to these people's previous experience with pain and pleasure coupling. But you would have to, what, find a group of people that are really turned on by a jiggly foot in your no, example? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm curious about how the experience of viewing something that either you're into or that you are not into that is, you know, new and ah to you, how that might just color your whole, your whole day. Okay. And, but that did make me think of a related question back to the, like, pain-specific stuff. What about incidental pain? 
that is associated with sexual activity. Like a muscle is cramping up or something. I that That's just like a, a broad question for I was at a uh, BDSM club the other month, and somebody was getting onto a table where the people who were put on the table were then going to have a fire stimuli rubbed okay. on their body. And as she got on the table, she had this moment of discomfort in her face, and she adjusted herself so that she was more comfortable laying on the table. And I thought to myself, <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't want to be uncomfortable. <laughs> God forbid. Oh, yeah. So, yes, you can have the wrong type of discomfort in the sexual environment. That is a fantastic example. I'm sorry, my phone just went off. That is such a good example of the different modalities of, yeah, of pain. Yep, there, there's... Yeah, it is specific things that people are looking for. Anyways, I thought it was cool, like, yeah. especially for researchers... This is a type of different pain perception that is akin to being able to apply an opioid. And what the, I'm going to just jump ahead to the future directions because I want to stress how meaningful that is, is that there's a dynamic of this that's learned over time. And so potentially this can be something that can be taught to non-masochists as a way of managing chronic pain. That I am very curious about how these kind of acute stimuli where you have control over them and you can make sense of them. Um, I am curious about how they yeah, compare to chronic conditions. So where the differences between the masochistic and controls was most evident was in the operculum. The operculum is a, I'm just going to quote, yeah, somebody defined it really well. I'll cite them in the notes. The operculum is a cortical structure which forms the lid over the insular cortex, overlapping it and covering it from external view. And we've talked about the insular cortex before. This is the little cap that goes on top of it. Uh, the parietal operculum is involved with pain processing and somatosensory and visual integration. So that multi-sensory integration that I mentioned earlier. It also handles a bunch of storage of associative memories, specifically emotional memories. This was seen, I think, in previous research looking at Pavlovian learning and an association between a, a painful stimuli and when you play whatever had been you know, unconditioned stimuli that had been paired with it, you'll see activity in the operculum as if it's retrieving those memories. So masochists had a higher activity here during the masochistic picture and pain pairing than controls. Hmm. And compared to other combinations of the pain and just a regular old picture. That is interesting. Yes. Masochists engage memory and emotional processing regions of the brain when in that specific masochistic context. It's linked to altered multisensory integration of the operculum. So to sum up this research, by examining the activity of the perculum in relation to other brain regions, this study found that the operculum acts as a really important relay station that handles the sensory, affective, motivation, and memories that are evoked by a pain stimulus, but only if it's in you know, an emotional context of a masochistic image. 
every day we get closer and closer to understanding the neural correlates of being a freak. Good, good freak. Rock on. Badass thing to say. Do you have any pain management go-to techniques for like you just stubbed your toe or something and you're and you're shaking it off do you swear do you i for a while i would follow up any injury with that didn't hurt (laughs) and that's not a great idea to like generalize that for your own experiences but it did you know it worked (laughs) (laughs) yeah the type of pain uh some some sharp, unexpected pains I just I just feel. Now, if it's like a sustained thing, um, I've said on previous episodes, I'll just say my favorite quote from Lawrence of Arabia when it comes to like, it's really cold, it's really hot, or things that are more consistent. Oh, it damn well hurts. Certainly it hurts. Well, what's the trick then? The trick, William Potter, is not minding that it hurts. Yeah. But no, stubbing my toe always is just a response. Motherfucker. God damn it. And then me wanting the hurt, the in- the inanimate object <laughs> that it caused me the pain. You know? Revenge. Logical. Have have we studied the analgesic effects of revenge? <laughs> oh, I forgot the future direction on this study. Um, <laughs> speculate so. wildly. Speculate wildly. They also found that the number of years the masochists had experience with this type of pain-pleasure combo actually correlated with higher levels of activity and the various brain regions that they were looking at. So that suggests that some of these mechanisms might be useful in the treatment of chronic pain or clinical pain. But besides that, my future direction is going to be involving reading Dynamics of male sexual arousal, distinct components of brain activation revealed by fMRI in neuroimaging 2005, and the other citation, areas of brain activation in males and females during the viewing of erotic film excerpts, human brain mapping 2002. Good follow-up reading. Let's go back to what you were saying earlier about how you could potentially use masochists in studies that where you're trying to assess pain. Well, you would have to pair the pain in order to see that effect with a masochistic context in order for them to actually not, it's not that they don't feel pain as much as anyone else. It's the context that modulates it. Yeah. I like, I, I have fully never thought about this before, but I mean, again, I want Fitbits <laughs> and EEG caps. Oh, please. Make it part of the face mask, the gimp mask. Just build the yes. electrodes right in there. Yes, but actually. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, you're welcome, science. We're doing a lot of <laughs> great work for you. This is a new segment we like to call You're Welcome, Science. <laughs> There's many times that I think that my analogies have been just gold on this show. That now I want to go back and add that. You're welcome, Sykes. <laughs> Should be a button. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yes. Well, that wasn't painful at all. Include rim shot right there.
phone. Please leave your name, number, and a message, and I will get back to you as soon as I can. Uh, also, feel free to send me a text. Thanks. Bye. At the tone, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. So it's time to end the show. And I don't have a good takeaway for us other than take care of your teeth and your sexual health. Have fun with it. Get crazy. Floss twice a day. They really wish they could tell us to do that, but they know they can't. They know there'll be some revolt. That fifth dentist wasn't having it. Thank you so much for listening to our unusual episode, folks. You can listen to our last 20 episodes free of charge. And to access the older episodes, subscribe to our Patreon page. The $5 a month tier gets you access to our entire archives, along with a heads up on what research we're going to be covering in upcoming shows, doodles, and bonus clips. Thank you so much to our current Patreon members. You helped buy Leah a new set of headphones. Please follow the show on Twitter at MisbehaviorJC and Instagram at the same thing. You can find me at CurlsPhD or Trouble Helix with two X's. You can find Leah at Hawks in Socks, and that's Hawks with an X. Thank you for allowing us into your auditory pathway. Tell your friends and tell your enemies. Just don't tell your PI. Please subscribe and uh, scroll down to the bottom where they give you stars. And give us some number or colors of stars, please. That would be lovely. And we hope you join the club again soon. If you are set to send your message with normal delivery, press 1. To send your thank you, your message has been sent. Goodbye. I'm in the phone booth. It's the one across the hall. You have been listening to the Anulo Podcast Network. We have four tremendous podcasts on our current roster. If you like the hit Broadway musical Hamilton, then you also might enjoy hearing the Ham Boys rank every song from the Hamilton soundtrack on Who Does a Podcast with hosts Headphone Joe and Kyle Loader. Get your sports talk radio fix with Cheers from the Press Box featuring Headphone Joe Dorville and stand-up comedian Brennan Tassif. Curious about how the brain works? Get your neuroscience knowledge with some laughs at Misbehavior Journal Club. This fortnightly science-slash-comedy podcast is where two lady researchers bring you the latest studies on behavior. It stars Amiel Moreno and Leah, a.k.a. Leah, or vice versa, Krevit. Finally, we have a new low. The podcast has started it all. This show features Farzad, Headphone Joe, Kyle Loader, L. Greg, and Scott by Scott. They discuss anything and everything depending on their moods or their level of sobriety at the time. Thank you for supporting the Anulo Network, and feel free to share your favorite episodes with friends and family. Thanks again, and goodbye.